This week, we're talking about whether gender-neutral bathrooms affect college students' perceptions of gender. Insert tasteful pun about both kinds of binders here. I'll do it in post. You'll do the pun in post? Yeah. You also didn't say we're li- you're listening to more research required. Dang it! <laughs> you're listening to more research required. Science and technology! Welcome to More Research Required, a podcast where we talk about the research studies we would do if anyone would give us the money to do them. I'm Amy Giacomucci. I'm Abby Norling-Ruggles. And this week we're doing a question from friend of the podcast, Colin. Hi, Colin. Uh, Another one, because Colin is just full of curiosity. And it's what I said in the intro. Do gender-neutral bathrooms affect college students' perceptions of gender? Which is obviously kind of a loaded question at the moment, kind of fraught and related to political things. And also, uh, both of us are cis, so we are somewhat unqualified to comment on this. We're going to do it anyway, but you should listen to trans people and not us necessarily. We have a reading list um, that will be provided in the episode description upon publication of this episode that you can feel free to peruse at any time. Yeah, it was helpfully provided by a friend of the podcast. It's uh, all trans authors talking about gender perceptions and trans issues and really cool stuff. So check that out. Okay, so so let's do some background on the subject. Uh, we're talking about gender-neutral bathrooms, which... I assume everyone gets the idea of a gender-neutral bathroom, but uh, we just wanted to underline sort of why they're important and helpful and why we're having this conversation at all. Right. Gender-neutral bathrooms, as you probably know, are bathrooms that people of any gender can use and enter, and it's fine. Uh, They're usually single-stall and private. Uh, Sometimes they're larger, but that's sort of rare. A lot of them are found currently in colleges um, and... Other more, like, liberal-leaning spaces? Yeah, I did actually learn today that it's, as of 2006, it's a legal requirement in D.C. that all single-stall public restrooms are non-gendered. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's really awesome. I mean, there's just, like, so many benefits to non-gendered restrooms. I mean, obviously, they don't, you know, harmfully reinforce the gender binary. They're safer spaces for trans people to be in. People don't have to pick which one they're going to go to, but also just they're they're helpful for people with disabilities who need help using bathrooms. They're helpful for people with kids. And they're literally just more efficient time-wise for everyone because you don't get a line outside of one gender of bathroom while having the other one missing. Right. That's... Mostly. That's mostly what they are. (laughs) Yeah, and it's also, like, you don't have to go through the emotional taxing of, like, wondering whether or not you will be kicked out of the bathroom that uh, matches the gender you identify with. Right. I mean, basically, no one has a right to kick you out of a gender-neutral bathroom, and you you don't have to worry about anyone questioning your presence there if you don't 
strictly conform to the gender binary right. in any specific so it's all, way. And it's also like a safety thing. They are actually important. It's not like some a big deal that someone's making over nothing, which is how it is often portrayed. So that's our primer, I guess. Our primer? No, it's primer. Why would it be primer? I don't know, but I heard someone say that on some other podcast and... Weird. I don't know. Well, now you're making me question everything. Yeah, well, that's what the art podcast is about. Um, no, but so that's like a really fast summation of what's going on with gender neutral bathrooms and why they exist. Um, there, There's a lot more stuff to mine in there, but we didn't mine it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot more to talk about on this issue, and it's been in the news a lot lately. I did, um, I don't know if this is the time to leap straight into research. I did Go read a, um, a paper titled uh, Gendered Restrooms and Minority Stress, the Public Regulation of Gender and Its Impact on Transgender People's Lives, which is by Jody Herman, 2013. And it's talking about my, uh, minority stress, which is kind of a concept similar to microaggressions, just small causes of stress that add up to create negative mental health effects for, you know, various minority groups that are oppressed. Um, and this is well documented that uh, queer people, gay and trans people, um, have negative health effects because of, uh, you know, oppression. Um, but specifically, this paper surveyed 93 trans people from around D.C., and uh, 68% of them had experienced verbal harassment in public restrooms, 18% of them had been denied access to a public restroom at least once, 42% were harassed in or denied access to school bathrooms in D.C. Um, so it is, like, a pretty big issue for trans people. A lot of them basically are not safe or comfortable using public bathrooms if they're not gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this this was an interesting study because it uh, broke this down by uh, income and age and uh, uh, race. And <laughs> I guess unsurprisingly, but still sort of importantly, richer and whiter people were much, much less likely to get bothered in bathrooms. Yeah, I noticed that a lot of the studies that I found actually did include better demographic information than I've seen from most of the things we've seen so far. <laughs> I mean, I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, if you're already researching uh, a, you know, very oppressed, hard to reach minority population, you're going to be a little more aware of the fact that you're, you know, that minorities play into this I guess yeah um and like that intersectionality is a thing whereas if you're just researching the general population this stuff might not even occur to you right it I mean oh some of these studies were all right like in general science is so bad at gender <laughs> <laughs> our uh, mutual friend who works at the NIH was telling me about a survey she found pr- a, a recent survey where uh <laughs> The uh, the survey, it was like a weird logic tree thing where um, the survey taker asked your gender and then if you uh, refused to give them your gender, they would just guess, which is, that's not how you do science. And of course, there were only two gender options, but then like beyond that, 
they just guessed it's so bad (laughs) that's so bad like it's funny but it's also very bad and you can't do that (laughs) right no i mean it like ruined the science that they were doing (laughs) yeah like if you're going to separate things by gender include the correct genders and like correct gender options and if they don't give you a gender or you don't have their gender option then like Yeah, I mean, it's a hard question, obviously, because there's not one, you know, canonical list of correct genders, but you absolutely need to have at least, you know, an other category and, you know, not just place people in one of two categories based on your perception of what they look like. Yeah. Or sound like. I'm not sure. It might have been a phone survey. Yeah, it could be any variety of sort of worthless indicators of what your gender is so it's very fun Mm -hmm. and exciting Uh, yeah but but yeah i mean you know i was looking for um studies relating to this and then there were a couple but um the trans community is notoriously understudied because people just don't ask about them on surveys people just ignore their existence it's it's very upsetting. I, I went on a, like, weird rabbit hole deep dive to try to figure out how many trans people there currently are in the U.S. And the answer is basically, like, if someone tells you they know, they're lying. Because we <laughs> we don't, like, there's not enough major surveys that ask about it. But the best guess as of 2016 that I found was about 1.4 million trans adults. Um, But the... That was, you know, an estimate, and the upper bound was as many as two, 2 million and possibly over 1% of people ages 18 to 24. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it, it's a it's a quote-unquote hard-to-reach population. If you're doing a survey of trans people, you can't j- just do... It's not efficient to just call up random numbers and ask if a person is trans, but... You know, if you do a random sample of a bunch of people, you're going to get a fair number of trans people and they're going to throw off your results if you don't account for them. Yeah. And also, um, I there is a like there is a pretty high dropout rate of trans people who participate in studies like this. Um, and part mm-hmm. of that is just probably because like science is very bad at gender and you can so- sort of so tell. It's so bad at gender. Yeah. But also, like, there is a history of studies that are done specifically to delegitimize trans people, and I can definitely understand not wanting to participate in them if you are a trans person. Right, which, I mean, is, I think, a lot of sort of trans theory and stuff comes from outside of academia. Right. Um, Although, I mean, there, there is plenty of trans theory inside academia also, but especially you know, in modern times, everything relating to social justice and gender terminology and everything is is moving so quickly that I think it's hard for academia to keep up sometimes. Right. Like, we were talking about this earlier, but the terminology that you find in a research paper, just because it's published and out there, does not necessarily mean that those are the correct terms or information or like self-chosen uh self-chosen vocabulary that you should use yeah i read some bad stuff i also i i read too much about like bodily fluids while doing this research because i guess bathrooms i 
I had, while I was doing the research for this project, I had to read the phrase, the cultural politics of gender and excretion. And uh... I wish to forget it. Why did you say it? I'm sorry, I had to share my pain. This lives on the internet now. I know, now everyone will have to hear it, all eight people who listen to this podcast. Uh, it'll, but sorry, it'll spread everyone. like a virus. Well, it was, yeah. I mean, I read it on the internet. Okay, fair. But now we brought it to a new audience. Yeah. Of eight people. Love you guys. Anyway, um, but Do yeah. Do you have any research stuff you want to share? So I found a study that was specifically run on trans college students um, called Transgender College Students, an exploratory study of perceptions, engagement, and educational outcomes. It's from 2012. It's by Dugan, Kuzel, and Simone. So they studied transgender students' perceptions, engagements, and educational outcomes across uh, across the collegiate experience. Um, so the data were... The data was collected as part of the. Um... Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but I love that you said you said the data were, and then you corrected yourself to the data was. Very good descriptive a... linguistics. Yeah, I was going to. I just, you know how I feel about prescriptivism. I of which course is I that do. I dis- yeah. So basically, people are going to tell you that it's the data were. And if you are in academia and you are giving a presentation, you should probably say the data were or people, people will, will uh, very unfairly judge you for say for using singular data. But it's a very like normal thing for people to do in casual registers. Yeah, and uh, this is a casual like this is a casual register podcast about right. And research. there's no, I mean, it's such a classist judgmental thing to be like, "Ooh, you got to say the data were," or you know, you're not a real academic. Yeah, and people just are going to be like, "Oh, well, in the original Latin and Greek," and it's like, "Okay, are you also going to conjugate our language in the same way? Are you going to right exactly? Like, if you say of data, are you going to have to make it the accusative case? Or genitive. I'm sorry. It's the genitive. Okay, well, now you're beyond my knowledge yeah. of Latin. Well, I took four years of Latin, and I learned the first declension. Oh, so, yeah. And cool. that's all I learned. Anyway, what was your, what did the data show in your study? <laughs> okay, so the data showed... The data compared samples of trans and cis college students, um, and it found that the... There are significant, you know, they had different experiences from one another. Wow, I am shocked. <laughs> I know, right? So trans students had experienced more harassment and discrimination and had less of a sense of belonging at their school. They also ended up having, I don't remember if this is from this study or from another one, um, but they had higher dropout rates uh, and they were less likely to receive mentorship from uh, professors which all of which oh that's really awful yeah it's i mean again not surprising but just very unpleasant to hear about yeah and so much of it is like very much something that you can assume is a normal experience if you aren't like living as like if you aren't living multiple lives at once so it's right. Everyone can ju- can just assume, you know, oh, it's this hard for everyone to get mentorship from professors or it's whether this they're easy for everyone to get mentorship right. from professors, whether they're, you know, a cis white man who has it really easy or a 
trans woman of color who presumably has a much harder time. Yeah, and, like, this study also seemed to imply that uh, specifically uh, people who are, um, like, trans women or and intersex intersex students uh, have less mentoring than um, trans men, which I think is interesting. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Although, right, not surprising if you sort of talk about intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, it, it probably depends on, um, this is a whole other conversation, but, you know, ability to pass to their teachers and stuff like that. Right. Oh, yeah. But we we can't. <laughs> yeah, we should not even touch that. No. <laughs> that is a can of worms that I am not going to try to even begin to navigate because without doing, like, years of research. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. All right, so let's sit back in our seats and go back to where we belong, which is bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so should we maybe talk about um, the actual study that we want to do? Yeah, I think that that would be pretty neat. Uh, so <laughs> let's move into our experimental space. <laughs> Abby, do you have any thoughts or opinions or anything? Well, okay, obviously um, our research has focused pretty heavily on trans people. Um, which is not the only kind of gender perception there is, but I think it, you know, it's an especially important kind when it talks, comes to talking about, uh, gender neutral bathrooms. So, you know, I think I'm perfectly willing to continue focusing on that. Although I guess there's one sort of really simple study we, we could do, which is, you know, probably not perfectly controlled, but, you know, literally just... Uh, going into college, have people in dorms with gender-neutral bathrooms and dorms with gender-segregated bathrooms, and uh, literally just, like, ask people what gender they identify as going in, ask people what gender they identify as when they graduate, see if it had an impact. Wait, that's what I was thinking, too. (laughs) Yeah, just because, like, there is... A lot to be found in being able to explore your own identity in college, and it's something that I think that we've looked at for a lot of groups, but not really gender-wise as much. And yeah, I mean, I think they're like it. it w- it's hard to distinguish between, um, you know, gender-neutral bathrooms make people more likely to question gender, and gender-neutral bathrooms are found in more liberal spaces where students have more opportunities to question gender norms, you know? It's hard to distinguish between those things. Right, so we'd actually be asking, does the presence of gender-neutral bathrooms indicate a higher likelihood that this thing would happen? Uh, Which implies more correlation than causation in the question itself. Yeah, I mean, we, we can run some statistics on it to try to figure it out. But also, there are things like, you know, I'm sure that that trans students are much more likely to pick or be placed in dorms that have gender-neutral bathrooms. I mean, I know this was true at our alma mater, mm-hmm. that, you know, there were some dorms that had gender-neutral bathrooms and some dorms that had gendered bathrooms. And uh, m- most trans students that I knew were, you know, clustered in the dorms where they could have either their own bathroom or a gender-neutral bathroom. Actually, um I was in a lot of dorms that were, like, small houses with a few students Mm -hmm. in them, and we sort of 
just talked amongst ourselves and was and decided which bathrooms would be gender neutral and which wouldn't which i think is a very rare experience to be able to have so that's interesting though that you did actually decide this bathroom is not gender neutral this one is for a gender well it initially the bathrooms i think did have like gender designations like one year i was in a all a dorm that was originally um conceived as an all women's dorm and Mm -hmm. another year i was in the sort of sister dorm to that one um but i believe that it was supposed to be that the top floor bathroom was men's room the middle floor bathroom was a women's bathroom and the first floor bathroom was gender neutral and we just ended up making it so that the top floor and the first floor bathrooms were both gender neutral um so that makes sense yeah just because there weren't a there were like a lot of women in there and a lot. Right. I mean, I was also sort of wondering about, um, you know, people's experiences with gendered dorms, partially because our college, um, I think the entire time that we went there had the policy that, um, you know, you'd be assigned a roommate. Well, at least when I was an incoming freshman, it was, you would be assigned a roommate of your same gender. Um, and then, subsequent years after freshman year you could just pick whatever roommate you wanted regardless of gender i think by the time my younger sibling came into the same school um the policy was that you could you could as a freshman i guess specify whether you were willing to have a roommate of a different gender but that was an option so it you know pretty free form in terms of um who you could room with and also you know i think most halls and dorms were co-ed um or i you know i guess that's kind of an outdated term yeah (laughs) Uh, um but but right there wasn't a lot of sort of prescription of who you could live with gender wise so i wonder if that makes a difference in people's gender perceptions as well yeah i think it does although i know that like i know for a fact that there were people who didn't for example totally fit into the girl box who ended up living in like women's housing just because it's good housing like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean and that's actually like an interesting thing also that happens a lot and it's really noticeable with um you know quote unquote all all female schools where um they actually end up with a a significant trans male um and or non-binary population much more than a trans female population because you know a lot of people figure themselves out in college and end up identifying differently from the way they were assigned at birth and but um you know in college admissions they're admitting people who currently identify as female who are teenagers uh so there aren't a ton of trans women for them to admit right especially because like it's uh, yeah as you said it's a lot easier to figure yourself out in college than like when you're around all the people you've known your entire life so right and i mean people are from a variety of backgrounds but colleges tend to be you know very liberal spaces right yeah although I don't know. I There is, basically, I have had conversations with people before about the graduating as a trans person from a single sex college um, and how that is, you know, a difficult situation a lot of the time. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, especially applying for jobs. Uh, hmm. Yeah. So, like, a lot of uh, the people I've talked to have said that a lot of single-sex schools have sister schools or, like, sibling schools. I don't know if that there's a blanket term for whatever. Um, and they just put the other school on their degree <laughs> or on their resume. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's because it's like a lot of the time it's basically the same experience. Right, between, I mean, close enough. Yeah, like um, like Haverford and Bryn Mawr are basically yep. the same school. <laughs> <laughs> like you can take classes at both. So I don't know. I just thought that was like a really interesting thing. I don't think it applies here, but... Yeah, I mean, it's a, um, a definitely interesting sort of perspective. And I, I do wonder... You know, going to an all-girls school, there are obviously going to be trans people there, but um, how that affects your perception of, you know, what gender is and how you experience it versus going to an a, um, a, a all-gender school. Right. Yeah. Actually, I really want to see... I really want to see perspectives on that specifically, because those aren't conversations I've had. Those aren't experiences I've had. Um, and that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could go in a different direction with this and totally not answer the question about bathrooms, but just, you know, I- interview people who go to different schools about their appearance on uh, or opinions on and experience with gender and you know sort of do that before and after they attend either a mixed gender or all-female institution and just see what happens because I am really curious about that now me too uh you'd have to interview a lot of people though (laughs) because I mean for sure yeah just like to try to is is it to try to like catch <laughs> to c- try to catch the whole spectrum of human uh, of human development human <laughs> experience <laughs> i mean i this is only sort of related but um i one study that i read while preparing for this literally just followed a referred to them as four women but three of the four ended up questioning their gender or actually, I think they all questioned their gender. Three out of the four ended up not identifying as women. So it followed these four people over 10 years. And I I don't know how they managed to pick at the beginning four people who all ended up questioning their gender. They all ended up questioning their gender? Or did they have, like, were they questioning at all in the beginning? I think several of them were not. Definitely at least a couple of them identified as lesbians which probably raises the chances that they will you know interact with gender in a way that would cause them to question it but yeah i don't know did they just get really lucky i don't know well do you know if they originally had a larger sample and i I don't know they didn't say okay yeah yeah you would have said it if they had sorry no just throwing stuff out there we could just do a really big sample and (laughs) i love that this is a running theme in all you know with our magical (laughs) unlimited funding 90 percent of what we do every time is like 
this is similar to other studies that have been done before, but the sample size is going to be like 10 times as large. Because we're going to have so much money to give to people, so why exactly. not? <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you could get some colleges on board, you could just give this survey to a lot, or interview process, whatever, to a lot, like, most of the incoming freshmen in the school. Yeah, actually, like, give it to them with their roommate survey. Yeah, sure. I mean, you'd want to give them the chance to opt out, but... Oh, yeah. I Can't you opt out of a roommate survey? Or no? Roommate survey? Yeah, you know, the thing you fill out so that they don't, like, put you with... I don't know. Oh, I guess you can opt out of that? I don't really know. I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't either. I might be making that up. I, It probably would be a bad idea to opt out of it, so. Anyway, Amy, who's going to fund this study? <laughs> yeah, okay, so um, I would say the massive endowments that most colleges sit on and refuse yes, to use that's on so their true. students. I mean, it's probably going to be all private colleges, but that's fine. That's that's still a really big sample size. Kind of skewed, but, you know, we'll take what we can get. Yeah. Schools with massive endowments can just use those endowments to interview all their students about gender. Yeah. Do gender research if you're not going to do anything else with the money you have. Right? Like... Or, you know, like, provide more financial aid, but... Or provide better resources and support for trans students as well after you give them the financial aid they need to attend your fine institution. Yeah, all of those things. Really, there's so many things you could be doing with that endowment that you're sitting on. Instead of sitting on 80% of the money that you have every year. So much. Right. I mean, they could... (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Good answer. I don't have a different answer. Let's go with that. All right. Cool. Uh, All right. Abby, there's another question. Oh, yeah. Do you want to speculate about the results of the study that we are going to do Uh, about asking college students about their gender before and after their collegiate experience? Yeah, I don't know. Um, right, I mean, I guess what we've settled on here is um, we're not, we're do- we've just completely left the bathrooms behind and we're doing all-female institutions versus mixed-gender gender institutions, right? Sorry, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Colin. This is more... I mean, the bathroom thing was also interesting, but I'm really excited about this. Yeah, um, yeah I don't... I, f- I feel like having a, a variety of genders... I mean, obviously there are a variety of genders at women's colleges, too, but I, I feel like it, it's... Like you said, it, it could be kind of difficult to transition when you went to a college sort of on the basis of being a woman. And then, you know, you maybe figure out that that's not true, but that could be a, a rougher process than... But, I mean, on the other hand, they do tend to be... There there tend to be a lot of queer people at women's colleges, and they tend to be, you know, very feminist environments. So I don't know. I'm, I really don't know. Yeah, that's why we're asking. I mean, I also... I really don't know, and I would be very excited if someone did this and found out. Yeah, I would really like to know. Yeah, well, I guess we're at the end of our discussion. Of <laughs> yes, I, I guess so. I, do you, um, I can give Rex for uh, books about gender theory to read. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll do that. Um, so there's Nobody Passes by Matilda Bernstein Sycamore. That's actually essays, but edited by. Um, Queer Theory, Gender Theory by Ricky Wilkins. Gender Outlaw by Kate Bornstein. Redefining Realness by Janet Mock. Stone Butch Blues by Leslie Feinberg. And Whipping Girl by Julia Serrano. Uh, this list will be in the description of the episode, which you can access probably while you're listening to us right now. Probably. Yeah, so read things by trans people. Don't just listen to us because we don't know anything. And also tell us if we messed up and you know about it. Oh my gosh, please tell us if we messed up. I love to get called out and to learn things about being a better person. Uh, So one place where you can call us out (laughs) is... Segue. (laughs) Thank you. Is, uh, well, actually, one place you can call us out would be if you left a review on our podcast, but I would, like, prefer if you did it on Twitter or, tum- or Tumblr or our email. So our Twitter is more research underscore, our Tumblr is more research required.tumblr.com, and our Gmail is more researchcast at gmail.com. It would really help us out if you left a review, and, like, if you want to call us out in the review, that's fine. I would maybe prefer you didn't but like do what your heart tells you (laughs) but just generally leave us reviews please that would be nice yeah and like also just send us messages and stuff we really want to hear from you our twitter is gaining new life now (laughs) (laughs) that's one way to put it uh but right also uh if you have a question that you would like us to talk about we can do that you just need to tell us what it is yeah be like colin Be like Colin, please. (laughs) All right. And our music is Marie Curie by the Crips from the album Discover Science. And Abby, is that all we have to share with our audience? I think it is. All right. Well, then, until next time, listen to trans people and stay curious. Give some bad names. Marie, Marie, Marie Curie. She's the top of scientists, don't be. Winning those Nobels left and right. Still a bitch blown into overnight. Marie, Marie, Marie Curie. She's the top of scientists, don't be. Winning those Nobels left and right. Still a bitch blown into overnight. Richard. Hey, Kelly. Do you like animation? Heck yes. What's your favorite animated show? Naruto. You're wrong. Oh. If you want to get the right answers, come join our resident experts, Richard and Kelly, as they discuss, comment, and dissect anything and everything pertaining to animation. The show is called Animate the World, and you can find us on iTunes, where we upload every single Tuesday with a new episode. Yeah. And then you won't be a sad little lonely nerd anymore. Like me. Don't be like us. Don't be like us. See you then. See you then.